0: So you're about to listen to a Classical Classroom rerun featuring pianist and Professor Timothy Hester. He's going to be playing at the Texas Music Festival, which is happening right here on the University of Houston campus from June 6th through 27th. To find out more about the festival, just Google Texas Music Festival because Google has all the answers. Uh, By the way, if you're here in Houston, you can always come to the festival. If you're not, however, this episode is sort of a foreshadowing of things to come, because this summer we're going to be doing some episodes around classical music festivals, and I don't want to name names, but these festivals may be taking place in the mountains.
1: Hi, it's producer Todd with a very quick reminder that you are listening to a classical classroom podcast, and you can listen to these on Stitcher, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on TuneIn. And whenever you do, we'd love for you to rate and review us so that classical classroom and classical music in general can.
0: My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 917. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark, Secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock, and I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical, but I really want to learn. So, every week on this show, a classical music expert will give me a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the classical classroom. everyone. Welcome to the Classical Classroom. I'm your host, Daisha Clay, and today my instructor is going to be an actual instructor, Professor Timothy Hester from the University of Houston Moore School of Music. He is the Associate Professor of Piano and Director of Keyboard Collaborative Arts there. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Daisha. I'm really glad to be here to instruct you. Yeah, this is, I mean,
0: I'm going to get an actual bona fide lesson from a certified professor. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what you do. What is, for example, um, Director of Keyboard Collaborative Arts? What is What does that mean?
1: Well, collaborative playing is when you play with other people. Uh-huh. And so, as opposed to just by yourself. Oh, sure. And yeah. so, uh, chamber music and accompanying all sorts of... Uh, Different sized groups and I am involved in teaching chamber music and I teach courses in collaborative art playing the art of playing uh, collaborative music, which is quite difficult. You know, there's a lot of skills involved that aren't necessarily the same as uh, playing by yourself.
0: So what are you going to be teaching me about today?
1: Well, I just noticed that you said you don't really have much background in classical music. Mm-hmm. You probably listened to a lot of rock and that kind of thing when yeah. you were growing up. So I did, too. I mean, uh-huh. I, in 1968, my parents took me to the what's now the Arena Theater. It used to be called the Houston Music Theater for what they thought would be a kid's show. Mm-hmm because there was this song by the Ohio Express called Yummy 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 I Got Love in My Tummy. Do you remember <laughs> I know that, that song? song? Yeah. And I said I had heard they were coming and I said, "Mom, Dad, can I go to this show, you know?" Mm-hmm. And they said, "Sure, Timmy." You know, because we <laughs> lived right around the corner in Sharpstown and uh, they took me over and dropped me off. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that the Ohio Express was the opening band for Steppenwolf. What? <laughs> so I was 10 years old by myself in a suit at a Steppenwolf concert, <laughs>
0: awesome. and
1: it was it was unbelievable. It was like the best night of my life. you know <laughs> oh, I wow. mean I think that was even back when hippies were a new thing, you know yeah. it was like really exciting, and the music was just amazing and so i've been hooked by by rock music all my life, yeah. and I love jazz and the whole idea of. Those songs, you know, the Beatles and all those those groups that we had, they're songs that are short. And that's, I became interested in In one of the things I do is uh, play a lot of character pieces. Mm-hmm. And character pieces are shorter pieces. They're like miniatures okay. that composers wrote. And, and uh, Brahms, Johannes Brahms, late in his life wrote a, a bunch of character pieces. And character pieces have names like capriccio, intermezzo, waltz, Mm -hmm. nocturne. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. Hmm. So the idea is that these names of uh, character pieces can be words that describe the mood of the music that you're going to play. Yeah. So Brahms wrote this capriccio. It'll be a capricious uh,
0: Uh
1: uh, idea. Or he wrote a waltz. will be like a dance like a waltz or a nocturne that Chopin wrote will be like a night piece Mm -hmm. and have that kind of mood and maybe not necessarily an actual night piece but more of a dream of a night piece like a a, like a a psychological time piece that you imagine a nocturne yeah you know so it doesn't really have to be music that you snore with. <laughs> <laughs> it can be music that you just you hear and then it takes you to another world and you kind of go into a daydream and listen to it.
0: Like and captures you're... the mood of right. of nighttime right. rather than okay,
1: got it. And so what Brahms did, he wrote um late in his life this group of six pieces called Opus 118 mm-hmm. in 1893. And the first two pieces are sort of linked together. They're uh they have a similar tonality mm-hmm. and uh and the first one sort of sets the table for the second one. Okay. And they're beautiful pieces. They're really beautiful. And Brahms, you know, he's a, he's a master at writing in this form because he's a master of, of nuance, mm-hmm. which I think comes from having a very nuanced personality and also nuanced technique. Of composition.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about Brahms? Like, when did he live and who were his contemporaries, that kind of thing?
1: Well, Brahms was born in 1833 and died in 1897. Okay. Those are his dates. He also had dates with Caroline and Diana and Gretchen and people like that. Now I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 and... Uh, no, he spent most of his life hiding in the bushes watching Clara Schumann with some binoculars. <laughs> he had a he had a close relationship with Robert Schumann's wife, Clara. Ooh. And Robert was a mentor of his and, and he had a very close friendship. No one really knows the extent of their relationship, but mm-hmm. he dedicated many pieces to her <laughs> and this is one of them. Okay. Uh, so she died about maybe a couple, maybe three or four years after this was composed. And he did too. uh I'm not sure of her dates, but but it was a time of life when all of his friends were dying, mm-hmm. and he you know he he had great uh a deep feeling that he wanted to express mm-hmm. i guess music that could console people.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, it is a really, really lovely piece
1: well i'll play I'll go ahead and play. Maybe I'll play both of them in a row because one leads to the other very well and then we okay. can talk about them.
0: That sounds good. Okay. Yeah.
1: They're both intermezzos. So they're uh, the first one is marked Allegro non assai, mm-hmm. ma molto appassionato. Mm-hmm. So that means not too fast, but with great passion. Okay. And uh, the second one is marked Andante tenoramente, which is... Uh, Usually you think of it as a walking pace although I like to think of it an andante as if I was in a canoe. <laughs> and I'll explain <laughs> Why a that canoe? later. Okay. And okay. teneramente means caringly, you know, like you're holding a baby or something like that.
0: I had no idea that musical notation was so descriptive.
1: It can be unbelievable like in Beethoven's markings are, are really they're like huge long descriptions. But that's what that's the most important thing and huh. That you understand what they mean. I mean, I had a student that it, I it, the marking was Allegro con brio, and I said, "Well, do you know what that means?" And they said, "Well, it means, it means uh, fast." And then they weren't sure what con brio meant, mm. and they guessed that it meant fast with cheese. <laughs> 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 but that actually means fast with fire. Oh. So wow. anyway, I'll try this okay. first one and go to the second.
0: Sounds good. <clears throat> <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah, I had one of those moments where I was listening to you play and I was like, I can't believe that I get paid to do this. A <laughs> <laughs> personal piano performance.
1: I can't believe I don't get paid to do it. No, I'm just
0: kidding. You <laughs> <laughs> get paid with my company. <laughs> that was fantastic. Oh, thank you. Wow. It's
1: beautiful music. You know, it's it just is. that's what. It's so much fun about it is that you, you just you pour yourself into it, you know, and, and every single time you play it, you'll find different things. And, and depending on your own mood and and uh, how fresh and alive you feel, and mm-hmm. you really can uh, lose yourself in the music.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely. It's very sort of mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. It's just so it never, except for very, very briefly, it, it just kind of keeps flowing. Mm-hmm. On and on, mm-hmm. you know. As, as I was listening, uh, that was one thing I noticed was that that the piece, like that both both of those pieces, are just they're just chock full of notes.
1: Yeah, you know, there are a lot of notes, but every single one of them has been completely thought out. The reason for their every single note's existence, mm-hmm. Brahms considered. Because he was a master of voice leading. In mm-hmm. other words, he, you know the harmonies that he uses, he uh, he knows exactly where one voice needs to lead, hmm. and somehow he's able to to touch you know to lock into emotions mm-hmm. with these harmonies, and so it's the voicing of the chords, just like great jazz players, you know the way yeah. they voice their chords, uh, you you find beauty. Yeah. So there are a lot of notes, but but it's not trivial at all. Right. Yeah. It's not.
0: It's not sort of. Um, what's the word that I'm looking for? It's. It's not. Th- nothing is wasted. Everything yeah. It's like this one note.
1: I'm going to play my favorite. One of my favorite notes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a G sharp, and I'll just play G sharp for you. Okay. But if you hear if you hear the way this G sharp functions in the phrase, it's gorgeous. Listen to this. So you'll hear the G sharp here. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's like that moment when your' your eyes well up with tears before mm. you start crying. Mm-hmm. You know the G sharp <laughs> comes and then you know. Yeah oh, my God, this is really going to be over. I can tell it's going to end, and I don't want it to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's really a touching note. And yet, if you don't know that, if you don't know the theoretical reason, you can still react to it. Mm-hmm. And yet, knowing the theoretical reason, you think, oh, my God, this guy's brilliant. Mm-hmm. How did he think of doing that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so so there, and there are a lot of notes like that. I've wondered...
0: You know, this was written at such a different time and such a different place than what I'm familiar with, and I imagine that there were nuances of emotion uh, and things like that that Brahms might have and his contemporaries might have felt that I don't even know about.
1: That's possible, you know? but when you think about it, you know, a flower is still a flower, you know, and we're all human. And mm-hmm. I think what you're touching on is is really the crux of the matter. And, that, and there's a term that we use called gesture. Hmm. And uh, there was a great American composer, Roger Sessions, who wrote a book called Questions About Music. And okay. in this book, he focuses part of the book on the concept of gesture. And what that means is, you know, the, the composer can write down the music and indicate what he thinks, if it's a good composer, what the gestures should be. Mm-hmm. You know, you say, what is a gesture? Well, hmm. basically you have what I call a positive gesture and a negative gesture.
0: Yeah. And
1: many degrees in between. The positive gesture is in the music is when, you know, you play something and you're projecting out to the audience and they're listening to it and they're they're leaning back going, Oh my god, listen to that <laughs> you know, it's like a really strong place, mm-hmm. you know? And so the performer has to be flexes muscles a little bit his spirit and 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 flex out into the audience like a solar flare you know or something like that um and the opposite is a negative gesture and then that one you have the kind of moment in the music where the performer needs to be at their most vulnerable Mm -hmm. and opening themselves up so that the audience leans forward and they empathize and they say oh my gosh what is he okay? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, and it's like there's constant flux, like the way uh-huh. a tree moves in the wind. You know, it's like back and forth in different directions, and you have, you have these moments in the music that are, that demand that if the music's going to succeed, mm-hmm. it's like you have. I'll play a. Let me play a phrase, and you'll hear two different gestures okay. within one phrase.
0: Okay. Ooh.
1: Do that was just a simple moment where you had one phrase that went out and the other one Hmm. coming back. And it can be done, you know, in much larger, louder ways, Mm -hmm. too. Like in the first piece, in the first piece, uh, these two phrases. The two Mm -hmm. phrases are different, even though they look rhythmically the same. Mm -hmm. You have these harmonies that go out, and then some that pull in. It's like almost like
0: like waves. waves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do you think Brahms was the master of? What do these pieces illustrate that maybe other composers around his time? Well, he was
1: sort of known as a classicist. Uh, Around his time, there were some Mm. people felt he was stuck in the old way. Yeah. But he was a master at writing counterpoint layers. Um, In this first piece, you hear that first theme that goes like this. It's just a simple melody. It's a motive that comes. And then going against that is this accompaniment that comes up. So you have two completely different mm-hmm. things that go together and work. Yeah. And, uh, or you have canons. There's a perfect canon in this in this piece. And it's sort of, when you're playing it, you think to yourself, okay, well, the one melody is maybe I'm speaking. Mm-hmm. And the other melody is my thinking about what, what I just said. Thinking, <laughs> you know, what's that? Mm-hmm. Is that... What I really feel, or I feel oh, it so much, or that's such you an know, awesome
0: way to think about uh, that.
1: And there's all kinds of places in this music where you can, you know, you can put yourself into it, and it mm-hmm. actually speaks the way that you feel. You know, <laughs> I see. So,
0: wow. This has been fascinating, and it has been so much fun to, to see someone perform live. It's one of my favorite things. It's a
1: lot better than seeing them perform dead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: True story. Well, Tim, thank you so much for being on this show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for showing this to thank me. Thank you, Daisha. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.